Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Fiction. Science fiction. Horror. Fantasy. Crime. LGBT. Thriller. You have now entered the house of mystery with your hosts, Eric Shapiro, David North Martino, John Copenhaver, and our warrior. One hundred and three point three FM Los Angeles, one hundred two point three FM Riverside. And 105.0 AM Palm Springs. Welcome back into the house of mystery. I'm Al Warren. We've got Mr. Joe Goldberg in the house today. Happy to be inside. Happy to be inside. Good. Got to keep you inside. Keep the world yeah, safe. Away from people. Yeah. Yes, away from all things that have a beating heart. We've got uh, Gavin Stone dropping in from the UK. So, hey, Gavin, how are you doing over there? Hello, nice to be in out the cold and in the house too. So you get everything you wanted on Valentine's Day, Gavin? <laughs> you certainly did, but I can't say it on the air. Yeah, <laughs> he's done. He's done. This was a pre pre show conversation, everybody. That uh, we won't let you down on the joke. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, d- d- you know, Gavin's Gavin's a very let's just say he's romantic at heart. So he's the guy that would buy chocolates and what roses I'd, and flowers. Yeah, absolutely, one hundred percent. Yeah, he's the sweetest man in the world. We were telling him that he should work for a greeting card agency or something because he writes some of the best, most uh, incredible. Honest. Honest. Honest emotion. (laughs) Honest, but they make you feel, right? I, I tell you. Deep. Well, at least yeah, like he's yeah. good at messaging. Yeah. Yeah. There's no so, verbal clutter. So, so are you guys going to be buying shares? I, I, I'm, I'm I'll behind invest. you. I'll, yeah, I'm behind you 100%. You know. <laughs> Me and my lawyer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, we might need one. Well, today we are talking um, espionage. We're talking about uh, all sorts of stuff. Political, thriller, suspense, action. We've got one of the best writers there. And his latest book, of course, is called The Chaos Agent, Gray Man Book 13. So, Mark Graney, thank you for being here, Mark. Thank you so much for having me. Good to talk to you guys. It's a pleasure. You're doing really well, eh? You're like uh, last episode or whatever that was on Netflix was number one in 2022, hey, The Gray Man. And you're behind it. How do you, how do you feel about stuff like that? Does it change you when you're in the writing world and setting out to do a new, a, new a book in the same series? 
No, I don't think it really changes anything. I guess I can picture the the actors, you know, in the roles, but I don't really do that. I never really flesh out, you know, I don't I don't see faces when I when I write the scenes. I don't really know how to explain that. Um, I thought Ryan Gosling did a great job as the gray man in the film. But the movies and, and books are different. And the books are a lot grittier. So, you know, it it doesn't really change things that much. You know, I'm glad they did it and they're supposed to do a, a second installment of it and uh, you know i sure hope that comes together but uh you know it's it's all the same to me i'm 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 usually writing two books a year so uh my my nose is in that almost all the time well gosling he's canadian so that's why he did mm-hmm. such a good job there you go <laughs> well and so how, how do you keep it fresh then how do you keep it going um book after book with the same character uh, that's the toughest thing and, and not just the same character because i've, I've I write other stuff too. So this chaos agent is my 24th published novel since 2009. And they're all in the same genre. If I wrote in different genres, it'd probably be easier. So I, I don't ever want anything to feel like something else I've done. And so it gets really tough as time goes on. But the, the only thing or what I tell myself, the only way to keep it fresh and to keep it, you know, from looking like something I did one year ago or five years ago is to go out and get new information, go to new places, meet new people, and, uh, you know, explore different topics. And that seems like it's working for me. I used to be able to just sit down at a Starbucks for 10 hours and just pull stuff out of my head, but I've used all the stuff in my head, so I have to go acquire new knowledge, and um, that, that's what I'm trying to do. Well, Mark, what was it about AI in this novel that intrigued you to make it a center part of your story? Well, as you know, Joe, when you're writing about this type of stuff, there's just a few peer enemies that America can have or our protagonists can have. You know, it's China and North Korea and Iran and Russia. And then you start over at the top. <laughs> and um, so I'm always looking for th- other things that, that could be threats that would be, you know, for a big geopolitical thriller that, that, that would fit in. And with this one, um, you know, when I was looking for something to write about, I was I was watching Elon Musk, uh, you know, say he's going to put chips into people's brains and whatnot. He has these re- this really, really big artificial intelligence lab and, and Sam Altman, you know, a bunch of these private artificial intelligence labs um, interested me. And I thought, well, gosh, there, there's a story in there. And the more research I did, the more I learned about lethal autonomous weapons and the ethics of it all and how quickly, absurdly quickly, things are things are developing in the field. I kind of got the idea that I could make an artificial intelligent agent as a villain in my book, along with human being villains. You know, there's assassins and and masterminds and all that. But, you know, to have this technology be one of the aspects of the uh, of the villainy in the story seemed like a fun idea. So AI as a concept technology is actually a bad guy. This book, you made it you made it a character. Yeah, it's it's almost like a character. Um, you know, I always thought like you take one of these really the most sophisticated large language model that that's out there, something maybe you know not not science fiction but emerging technology, and then you uh, give it a mission, you know, some sort of an intelligence mission, and you attach it to offshore bank accounts and give it the ability to go on the dark web and manipulate people, social engineer, do all the things that a uh, intelligence agency can do. And then at the same time, you know, artificial intelligence, these these big uh, machine learning 
systems can rewrite their own code and they can grow and they can bootstrap and, and teach themselves new things and use synthetic uh, uh, data, you know, data that has created itself. And then so you just see all the ways that that can go wrong. Just the research in itself for that must have been hugely overwhelming. What kind of challenges did you face just like kind of uh, ga gathering the information you needed for this? Well, the, the biggest challenge I face is I don't know anything about this stuff. You know, it, it, and more generally, like math and algorithms and computer coding and all that sort of stuff. So what I did was there were about five source material books, nonfiction books on the subjects. And I read them all. I read one of them about four or five times. And then I listened to probably about 300 hours worth of podcasts, read a bunch of think tank uh, papers and, you know, sort of government publications about this stuff, you know, try to, to understand the ethics and, you know, U.S. policy and what our concerns about uh, China and other private, you know, AI labs are. And so I just compiled it. The story took a, a, a good little while to come together. I mean, I, I research and write at the same time. I find that works best for me. But, you know, I was working on this book into September and still learning new stuff and, and incorporating it into the story. Well, yeah, I, I can imagine because the, the way the rate of it growing is absolutely crazy. Did you did you actually worry about somebody knocking on the door and saying, hey, you can't publish this because we're, we're working on a system like this that's going to make us vulnerable or, or anything along those lines? No, I don't. You know, I get asked that sometimes, and I don't. I always feel like if, if I'm coming up with this and I'm, you know, in open source uh, information I have, you know, it, it would be one thing if I was getting some kind of classified information on the down low. I think I'd be pretty concerned about uh, publishing it or writing it about it or even studying it. But everything that I do is pretty much open source. I mean, I've definitely had people tell me things they shouldn't have told me along the way, but I'm pretty good at going like, yeah, I bet they would probably rather they didn't just tell me about that, you know, um, capability on that ship or, or something like that. You know, it's like, that's probably not public knowledge. So I'm just <laughs> not, I'm not going to write about it. Um, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not looking to be a treason, you know, to commit treason uh, as I write these uh, action novels. That's my, mine and Joe's speciality. <laughs> if you go missing, we'll we'll know why. Yes, yeah. It'll probably be some, um, you know, bad actor. It'd be, it would be a cartel thing. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. 
So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too. Like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Or Mara Salvatrucha or somebody like that. It probably wouldn't be anyone as sophisticated as the, as the government. And, and so when you're writing these characters, it, do you write it from within the character? Do you get into their mindset? Do you see it like a movie or hear it? Or how, how does that process work for you? I really like the psychology that comes into the stories because it's like you build this character who, you know, is, is improbable. I mean, I don't know, Joe, how, how many assassinations you committed with the agency, but you know, it's probably, yeah. a, it was probably under a hundred. I don't know that, but it, it you less know, I'm getting a handful, less yeah. than a handful. Okay. Um, so yeah, no, so you're, you're creating this character that on its surface is, is a little difficult to believe, but you do everything you can to sell that to the reader by getting as much good information as you can. And also exploring the psychology of the character. If, if you were an assassin trying to live off grid in Central America and you were in love with a woman who herself is a former Russian intelligence agent and you feel like she's lied to you, are you going to build up all the walls that you've broken down just for the one person? It seems like you probably would. So I like to get into the characters that way. I don't um, I guess I see the action scenes like a movie, but everything else, all the dialogue and stuff, it just it just comes from me. Uh, it, you know, the, re, writing the characters, like learning about the characters as I'm writing. So I literally will have characters talk to each other and I will me. Mark Graney goes like, oh, that's interesting that they said that or it's interesting they reacted that way. And I always like when that happens because you feel like you're you're generating something unique that way. Well, you know, um, that sounds like Gavin's life, falling in love with the Russian, and she lied to him. and Set her a bad greeting card then. then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and so when you're living through these characters, like you're going through it, how do you think the process of each book changes you? You know, I, I think I have a similar worldview to my hero, and so, like, I like learning about these specific things. I mean, the, the, the stuff I learned about artificial intelligence is pretty scary, and, and um, you know, the... I'm on my sort of big interview uh, circuit now, and I've probably done 25 of these. And probably the, uh, about the first 10, after each one, I kind of had this feeling of melancholy. And I'm like, I'm being a Debbie Downer about all this, you know, because it is kind of scary to me. It is, it is very ominous. 
And I was like, all right, you're going to have to get perkier because you're, you're coming off on these interviews a little bit doom and gloom. So I'm trying to get away from that. Um, I guess it only changes me in that it just gives me knowledge. And, you know, I have opinions and opinions and I share my opinions in the pages of my book. There's there's really no other way you can be an authentic writer without doing that. But I don't preach to anybody. I don't try to shove anything down anybody's throat. And if, if people completely disagree with me, you know, my last book, Burner, was about, um, you know, Russia and their involvement in Ukraine and all that sort of stuff. And I, I got absolute hate mail from people that were like, you have no idea Putin is, you know, the second coming and the Ukrainians deserve what they're getting. And, you know, there's, there's been no civilian casualties or, or whatever these idiots say. <laughs> and, and I'm just like, Hey, you know, you bought the book, you read the book. Um, I'm, I'm not trying to change your mind. You're a lost cause, but I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. So let's stick with that. Do you think about the readers as you're writing? Are they over your shoulder or are they just, over there, and that's just the way it is, and I'm a right, and that's just the way it goes. You've written a lot of books. You have a lot of people who read you. Yeah, I, I think about the readers, I think, a lot. I, I, I'm, I'm just very empathetic to the reader's experience, so that's a really important component of writing is to say, is this the best time for the reader to learn this information, or is the reader seeing this the way I'm seeing it? Is there something I can do to simplify it to make it easier for them to understand is there something I can do to, you know, to, to bring the reader back into the, the hero? If the hero's flying a, a jet fighter, I might talk about, you know, the, the taste of plastic through his air tube or something. Something to bring the reader into my point of view's character in some little way subtly. So I, I do a lot of that. And um, I try not to make my big action set pieces too complicated as far as, like, the logistics um, because then I think, all right, is it, am I getting too in the weeds? And, you know, the, I can picture it because I've seen this place or I drew a map of this place, but, you know, the average, average person can't see this. It, it's funny. I had a conversation with one of the screenwriters of The Gray Man, um, in LA a couple years or last year. And he's like, wow, I really love your books. This book is your best. This is your second best. Like very, you know, like opinionated on him. And I love that. And he's like, if I could just make one suggestion. And I'm like, oh, here it goes. He's like, too many abandoned warehouses. And as soon as he said that, I never thought about it, but as soon as he said it, I'm like, oh, my God, you're, you're completely right. Because you have a tendency when you set up these big acts, which I do probably at least a half a dozen a book, um, you need to put them in some sort of place that logistically makes sense. And so I think I started, uh, you know, putting too, too many action sequences in abandoned warehouses because people can picture that very quickly. And, you know, it's big open space. You don't have to, like, you know, talk about too much stuff. So I'm trying to be econ economical with the words just to, to keep the, the reader's interest up and the pace going. Well, let me go with a question. But first, I want to say that your nickname is Mr. Perky. <laughs> I'm trying to perk it up for you, for you guys. Yeah, yeah. Court's been around for a long time. Court's been in your head for a long time. He's been on TV. He's, he, he is who he is. So I'm reading and I'm going, what is, in my own characters, what is Court? teaching you, surprising you? you? You sort of mentioned this in talking to Al, but does he sometimes surprise you? What are you learning from your character after so much time? You've lived with them as close as anything else. Yeah. Um, you know, I, 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 I think I just learned, you know, as I write this story, I kind of have a, a starting off point, kind of a middle point idea, and then a general end point. But the ends of the books are usually very surprising to me. So some of the decisions, the 
court makes honestly surprised me. I remember I was writing uh, one of the books, Gunmetal Gray, and it was the first time where I was like, okay, I think court would want to do this, um, you know, take this course of action. But the readers, that's not what they want him to do, because the the sensible thing for him to do is this. But he, he has this moral compass that I've written and I've, I've tried to stick with. And I'm like, he's not going, you know, the hero is not going to do what the readers want him to do at the end of the book. And I had to kind of like sit with that for a minute and go like, is that okay? And then finally I was like, I think it's okay. And people were happy with the book. So now more and more I have him um, being really, really stalwart about things, even if he's wrong. And I think that's, um, it's interesting for me to write that. And I think it's interesting for the readers because it's, you're not just following along a, like a, you know, a, a, a player in a video game who's just, you know, going to a place, doing something, moving on to the next. It's, it's more like this person is growing and adjusting to the things around him. And I, and I guess as a writer, that's fun for me to, to explore that. I was just saying, I like, I like the whole kind of concept of it not being templated and, and kind of stepping outside of that, you know, normal uh, system that you might use for, for, for your books. But I think that's absolutely fantastic. Yeah, yeah, and it, it makes it more fun as a writer as well to, than, than to, uh, you know, just have this square-jawed hero that just, you know, just stacks bodies and <laughs> moves on to the next thing. You know, there, there's a lot of sort of... Uh, repercussions for the things that happen to the hero it, it create it's a vulnerable characters are just super interesting to me as opposed to just the superheroes well then how's it how does it stay interesting to you then because you're writing books you have this character he's developing the, the plots may change you know it's you know, bioterrorism today we're ai tomorrow but you know, you're the writer you have to sit down and do this you're pounding two books a year how do you stay fresh personally? At the beginning, and, and you guys, you know this, the, the beginning of the process when you have your general idea about a book, it's so perfect and it's so exciting. And you're like, this is going to be so much fun to write. And then when you get into the nitty gritty and you have all the self-doubt and you've, you know, written yourself into corners in 12 different ways, you know, the, the middle of a book is a slog. I always say that, like, Nobody wants to be around me in July because my books are usually due in August. And, uh, you know, let's say June and July, um, March, April, May. The, I'm, I'm a fun guy then. I'm pretty perky then. Um, <laughs> but then I start getting into, then I start getting into the self doubt and, you know, beyond self doubt sounds like an intangible. It's more of a tangible thing. Like I have 53 things I don't really understand about the book that I'm writing. That's, that's where you have to just slog through. But the beginning, I always feel very fresh. You know, like I know what my 14th Gray Man book is about. I've got some really cool ideas and I can't wait to get into it. And even having said all that, you know, four months from now, I'm going to be hating life. And th there has not been a book that I've written to where at some point I haven't thought that I might call the editor and say, can I just give the advance back and let's forget this? Um, you know, it's, it, it's just more than I can, more than I can, I bit off more than I can chew. And that, that happens to me all the time. That happened to me in the last uh, two months um, with another book that I was writing. And it happened with Chaos Agent <laughs> last summer. There was a time where, so, so keeping it fresh is all about, you know, kind of understanding there's going to be parts where you're just trying to, you know, generate some words and then once you have once you have a draft down and you're going, I, I like the editing process because then I feel like I have a book right now. I just want to make it a good book. <laughs> Before that, you don't have a book. You just have ideas. And so, you know, the, the freshness comes from having this fun, exciting idea at the beginning 
and you know, editing, refining it and editing it at the end. It's the middle part that's so much trouble. I am going through that cycle right now. So I, I, am, I yeah. have the same thing. I'm, I am, I am hitting the boy. Why am I doing this wall? And uh, absolutely, and 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 you know, it, it's so helpful for me as a writer to, you know, just be sitting there having a beer with Brad Taylor or Josh Hood or or anybody, and um, and hearing them go through the same thing. And, you know, it's like, hopefully I'm there going like, you're not crazy. And, and they're telling me that I'm not crazy. It's just all part of the process. Yeah, I, I generally, when I get to that point, I'll shut the laptop and I'll leave it for a few weeks if I need to and just say, right, that's me, I'm having some time out. And then a few weeks later, I'll go back to it and then I'll start again and get all excited again going through it all. I don't know if you've ever tried that, but it's worked for me. Yeah, absolutely. And, and honestly, the one thing that worked, that helps me on the day it's just backing up a chapter or two chapters and just reading. And you're like, okay, I'm going to do a little editing. I'm not being super productive right now, but I'm going to get something done. And then once you catch back up to that place where you've got that massive hole that you could fly a plane through, then, um, you know, you, you've kind of tuned back into the story and, and you can get through it a little bit. Uh, that doesn't always happen. Sometimes I do just close the laptop and be like, well, I guess I'm not writing today. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm writing backwards. I'm making things worse instead of better. That's when it's time to walk away. Mm-hmm, yeah. So something you mentioned to Joe there about when you were writing, uh, like if you had to write a jet fighter scene, you talk about the plastic in the mouth, that kind of thing. So when it comes down to writing these particular things, these events, if if your character has to do something, is this something you like to try and go out and personally do an experience so you're writing from experience, or do you go out to kind of interview you know, if it's like a halo jump for example do you go out and, and find people who've done halo jumps and, and get the information off them or do you go and try and do it for yourself and, and write from actually having done it it depends if it's fun and not too scary then i always want to do it <laughs> or not to, or it's not going to hurt me um you know like i've scuba dived and i've gotten to fly in a in an f-18 and and uh you know go to the three letter agencies in, in DC. And I've, I've gotten, I just got back from Africa where I spent several days with diplomatic security officers at an embassy. And so it was really good hands on, you know, training and learning. But then there's other things like I, I had a, a guy that owns a skydiving school who's a fan of my books. Who's like, you know, come out, we will totally set you up and we'll do everything and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I could come up with 15 excuses, but I'm just going to try and be a man. And explain that I'm not a man. And I just emailed him and I go like, I'll be honest with you. There's a lot of stuff I'll do. I am way too scared to do that. It's not happening. I can talk about it all day. But, um, you know, I can go to my buddy, Brad Taylor, who used to be in Delta Force and has probably jumped more than, you know, most people. And I can ask him questions and he's instantly, you know, giving me information. Um, you know, if it's something like scuba diving or anything to do with firearms, I do a lot of hands-on stuff with firearms. And, um I enjoy that, and it's kind of my comfort zone, whereas, you know, like, if if my hero wrestled an alligator, I'm not going to go wrestle an alligator. <laughs> yeah, I am. I've got to admit, the whole kind of scuba diving scared me more than it did jumping out of a plane, but that's that's a story for another day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just it's just different. Yeah, I, I had a it – was, it was a little scary to me, but I'm like, I think I can do it, and, and I love it now. But, uh, you know, jumping out of an airplane, I, I think – I'd be one of those people that, you know, would put their claws into the fuselage and <laughs> they wouldn't be able to get me out the door. Fair enough. And, and how helpful have you found the three-letter agency? Or how, how helpful or how hindering have you found them um, over the years as well? Not hindering at all. Um, helping, it's a mixed bag. I mean, obviously, I'll go to like a public affairs officers or whatever. I mean, I know people 
who, you know, who, who work at them. But, you know, there's, there's pretty good channels to go through this. If it's the Pentagon, I've been to the Pentagon like five or six times with three or four different people. It's not that big of a deal. Um, I've actually never been to CIA. I've been to DIA and ODNI and, um, and I've been to NGA. Um, and, and everybody is very cool and very interesting. I'm also a member of AFIO, which is the Association of Former Intelligence Officers, where I think if you're a U.S. citizen, you can be in the organization, even if you're not a former intelligence officer. And I've been to some symposia. I've been to some symposiums and things that they've put on and learned a lot of stuff and met a lot of really cool people. So mostly it's retired or, um, you know, former. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I used to be people like at the agency that I'll talk to. I'm a card. I was a card carrying member. I'm not sure if I still am or not. <laughs> I've been in the um because it, it's it's global and and over here if you're in the AFL then you get um access automatically within the membership to the special forces club. I was there not so long back, uh, which is purely just special forces or intelligence officers. And I, and I keep thinking, shall I join or shall I not? Yeah. Fantastic. That sounds interesting. See, he's, he's, a, he's a lot more than you know. Perky and deep. <laughs> yeah, and deep, real deep, you know. <laughs> it, it, it's, the locations, you've been all over the place. Sounds like you travel a lot, see a lot of things. Do you pick locations for particular reasons when you write them in the book? Um, sometimes I, I pick them because that's, I want to go there. I want to see it. Or, um, I, one example of that is I wrote a book called dead eye and I had just seen the movie, the girl with the dragon tattoo. And I was like, wow, Sweden looks so cool. So I went to Estonia and Sweden and Denmark and Belgium for that book. And, uh, and I did it totally because I saw a movie where it just was the place I wanted to go. And, um, you know, I, I, it was an amazing experience for me to get to go to Moscow. I'll, I will never go back, but I went when it was okay to do so. And, um, it, and, you know, I've been to Beijing and North Africa. I just got back from West Africa, um, you know, all over Central and South America. It's, it's a lot of fun. Um, and I, and I pick for different reasons. Sometimes the story completely dictates that. And other times it's just a place that I would, I would like to, go and experience. I think the gray man has been in Paris about four times in the series. He hasn't been anywhere else twice. I don't think. Um, but I, I like Paris. I mean, it's like, it's a cliche to like Paris, but I, I don't care. You know, I actually like Paris. So it's, um, it, it finds its way back in, even if it's a small scene. Great place to be. Are you conscious about how you write these modern day events? Like when you're getting into Russia and like your last book and all that, does it sort of, are you trying to stay away from certain things and not things? Or do you, do you think about the bad emails you're going to get because you say something about Russia and they, they love Ukraine or they love Russia? You know what I mean? Like do you? Yeah. I, I, um, I don't let that worry me. I just, you know, I feel like, that, you know, I'm a, I'm a thriller writer. I'm not going to try and like, you know, hype my self importance by saying, you know, I'm, I'm trying to change the world or anything like that. I'm just saying what I believe in the context of an entertaining story. And it, you know, people don't like it. I mean, I, gosh, I, I wrote a, one of the Clancy books I wrote. There was, I never actually understood the point of it, but, um, it, it bothered some like militia members in Texas. And so I was getting this just, like super violent hate mail from males and females. And I didn't really understand the point. It was something about some characters, some villains made it into America and had to, had to acquire some weapons and they didn't acquire them from the militia. And I think the militia was like mad that like, that I thought that these people could come onto their turf and, and commit crime or something. It, it was, it was a little too incoherent to understand, but I mean, 
this went on for months and months. Like there must have been some like, you know, email went, that went out to all these jerks that said, you know, let, let's all harass this guy for a while, you know, and it, it lasted for months and it didn't change anything. Like I didn't, again, I, I didn't understand their complaint <laughs> yeah. enough to respond to it because it was so incoherent, but you know, there's, there's a, there's a subset of just nutty people out there. I've, I've gotten emails from people that I, you know, I have to, I don't read the whole thing. I always say there's an inverse correl or there's a, there's a positive correlation between how long an email is and how crazy the person is. And you get these manifestos sometimes. And, you know, by the end, I'm going like, I think this guy's saying yeah, I'm the Illuminati. Congratulations. And it's like, I went to, yeah, yeah. I got C's in public school and then I went to state college and graduated when I was 25. And then I was a bartender for 10 years. So it's like, I'm not trying to, Perfect. uh, you know, like say that I'm, you know, like one of the uh, elite deep state people that people accuse me of being. Well, I think they're in on it because, um, we get that all the time. Like we'll have certain people on and all of a sudden it'll be huge influx of this. Like you're, you're all working for the government or you're part yeah. of the deep state and there's something wrong with you and you're, you're paid for this and it gets really kind of jaded. It's really, yeah. it's kind of scary in a way. And that's kind of what I was meaning when you select certain areas to write into it, Cause it's a little bit, just, you know, it's not like it used to be because they have so much easier connection with you. They can find you Access. online. Yeah. Yeah. And this, yeah. so doesn't that kind of, that doesn't that kind of freak you? Cause it sure freaked me out for a while until the Tucker Carlson got, mad at me about two years ago and said some things and then and then it yeah it just it was crazy people were sending me all sorts of weird things and yeah and, and then it tones down but then now i'm kind of okay with it if that makes sense but i just wonder if because if i was going to sit down and write a sto- story about something i'd be a little bit more concerned that i'm going to get it i guess yeah you know I, I've, I've like written about the mexican cartels and i've written about um you know corruption in, in the government. Obviously I've written about Russia and, and stuff like that. And nothing nothing's ever happened, you know, and uh that doesn't mean it won't. I've I've been at a book signing and somebody has come up to me and I'm like, oh my God, is this person, is this person gonna like kill me right now? Because not necessarily because of threats. Um, you know, there's just some emotionally disturbed people, let's say. And uh, you know, some people have this, you know, perceived relationship with you or and, uh, you know, and you're just like, OK, I that person's unpredictable. If they were just mad, that would be one thing. Or if they were just evil, that would be one thing. But the fact that, you know, I don't really understand this person's brain and, you know, they've flown into town to, to meet me at a signing. It's it's a little bit like, yeah, I have no idea what's going to happen in the next 90 <laughs> seconds. But it doesn't happen that much, you know, and 95 percent of all interactions with, uh, you know, emails I get are po- well, positive in the sense that, you know, they're, they're nice, normal people. Like they might not like the book or they might want to tell me, you know, on page 423 of this book you wrote in 2009, you said this and, you know, the actual street in Botswana is called this, you know, and it, but that doesn't make me mad. That's, it's a little pedantic, but, um, you know, I, I always say I never call it fan mail. I always call it reader mail because if you, if you read through it, they're not all fans. <laughs> well, let's pivot to the other side of the human spectrum. Uh, my quick story. Ten years ago, I sent out of the blue, I don't know, nobody sent a note to this guy named Mark Greeny. Greeny, who's a you know famous author, say, hey, can you blurb my first book? And Mark did. Became a bestseller because of Mark. And uh, 
and I've always appreciated that. And Mark's and I have kept in some contact throughout the years. Actually, we met each other for really the first time just recently after all this time. Yeah, yeah, that's what <laughs> I was thinking. In San, in San Diego, right? Yeah, San Diego. All this yeah. time we've been noting and emailing, and so here we yeah. are again in the same room. I know, um, I know. Thanks for recognizing me. The, <laughs> but but for those who are listening, maybe authors are thinking, want to be writers and authors. You know, that's a big moment for a guy like me. And what I found now that I've been in this gig is there's a very large pay-it-forward mentality amongst the authors. There's not competition. What mm-hmm. is it about this writer community? You mentioned Josh and Brad and all the gang. What is it about this community that says, let's help each other out? That's a good question, and I think about that a lot um, because there is just virtually no competition. I always say that I don't uh, – I don't feel like envy or anything about anybody's any other author's career at all. I mean, I honestly truly don't, but I do feel this like soul sucking envy when somebody comes up with something clever and I didn't think it up. I mean, I like like <laughs> anger, you know, it's like I'll, I'll read this person's book and I'll go like, Oh, that was, that was mine to discover, not this guy's. But when it comes to like how successful somebody is, it's like, I, I want everybody, you know, right there, you know, with all together, you know, I kind of like the camaraderie of it. And I've had friends, unfortunately, that had books that came out, their first book came out about the same time mine did. And they, they had a couple of books and then uh, didn't really get the traction. And, um, and I don't see those people anymore. So I'm, I'm always kind of rooting for everybody. Um, I've, I've made the joke with Brad Taylor, who's a really good friend of mine. Um, like when we first spent time together, uh, we were at a, an event we were both asked to come sign some books and we didn't really know each other, but you know, we knew of each other and we just decided to go get a, a drink while we we're waiting to do something. And like we sat in an Irish pub in Las Vegas and just like, you know, it, it felt like I was meeting someone that was living my life. And I, you know, and so when people say like, why are, why, is, why are you guys all seem to be friends? I'm like, I think it's cause we're writers. So we're just kind of lonely. And then when you, when you bump into somebody that's kind of doing the same thing you are, it's like this, very unique, unusual situation. I, you know, I worked in an office until I, I got published when I was 42. So I had, you know, 10 years uh, or more in working in an office and, and I miss that camaraderie and all that other stuff. I don't miss anything else about the job other than the people, but I do miss the people. So it, it's, it's fun to keep everybody together and everybody being positive. There is that sense of community. That's why going to the conferences helps actually see faces and, and build your network. Yeah. And, and one more thing I'll say about that. It's, it, it's that what you just said, but it's also this understanding that it's not this rarefied air. I, I went to my first couple of conferences and I was had a lot of social anxiety and I was too scared to talk to anybody that had been published because that was like what I wanted. And it's like I didn't deserve to be in the same room. And now that I'm a published author, I'll be standing there at a coffee shop at a conference or a, at the bar with 10 other like published authors, Brad Thor, people like way more successful than me. And and somebody will come up and start talking to us who is, you know, trying to be published or there for a maybe a um, a workshop or something to learn about writing. And nobody looks at them any different from each other. It's like if you're a decent person and you, you know, you're mindful of other people's, you know, space, then, you know, it's really good. So I think it's it's a good way for people that are trying to make it in the industry to. It, it kind of demystifies and goes like, well, these are completely normal people. These, <laughs> not special in any way, shape or form other than we finished the book and then we 
finished another one that made it a little better, and then we finished another one that made it a little better. Well, I usually don't ask the advice question, but since you sort of mentioned that, kind of what I did in, in San Diego, and all you guys are standing around, I kind of stand, stand over the side. What advice, I really don't like that word, but what advice do you give people who are saying, you know, I, I'm starting this, I want mm-hmm. to do this? Is it is it the skill and techniques? Is it the networking? Is it just sit down and write, which it seems read? Is that is that the best advice? What is it that that you would suggest for somebody saying, "I really, I really need to get moving on this"? Yeah, I, I, sometimes I feel like I'm turning into one of those grumpy old men on the Muppet Show that are just sort of like, you know, very opinionated and heckling, you know, Stadler and Waldorf. And but it, but honestly, I I, I just you know, people be like, oh, you know, what inspiration can you give me? And I'm like, yeah, if you need inspiration from me, it's not looking good for you. You know, it's like I write because I, you know, I wrote because I enjoyed writing and, you know, thought I was getting slowly better. But, you know, it, it wasn't about I've got to go meet Brad Thor or Vince Flynn or somebody and that they're going to tell me something that's going to make me a writer. It's like I don't think it really works like that. It's got to come internal. Um, the networking stuff is super, super important, but you've got to, you know, you've got to know that you have something. And so I, I feel like the advice I give would be, um, you know, have confidence, but have confidence from something tangible that you've done or created or are working on or something like that. You know, I think there's so many people are all about sort of self-confidence that self-confidence is like the only tool in their toolbox. And that doesn't really make sense. You know, you, you need to be confident from the fact it's like, well, I haven't, you know, I don't have a book out yet, but I got this short story as perfect as I could possibly make it. And I really like it. And I'm working on this and I have this idea, you know, that's, you can, you're a writer at that point. Um, but if you're, a, you know, say you're a writer and because you're super self-confident and you're, and you're out networking, you know, you haven't, you haven't, put the work in yet so it's 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 all about the work have you ever been like kind of halfway through a, a first draft or something and you think this is a really brilliant idea this is, this is like so realistic and you're really into it and then you see it happening in real time on the telly and think oh now everybody's just going to think i've copied the news or, or or another another author releases it and you think ah no that was mine you know that was my baby <laughs> Yeah, so um, multiple things like that have happened. Never super, you know, not so much that, you know, you're going to stop what you're doing, but I've tweaked things. Um, I was a ghostwriter on a couple of books, and on one of those, let's say it was about 2011 or so, um, the villain, you find out at the very end that the villain is Osama bin Laden. And uh, (laughs) I turned the book in. Everybody was thumbs up. It was looking good. It was coming out in four or five months. And Osama bin Laden got killed. So I was like, all right, we can, there's still time to go back and change it. So I changed it to, oh, I forgot the guy's name now. Is it Alaki Anwar? The guy from Arizona. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and I was like, oh, let's just, we'll make it him because he's in the news. He's famous. So we made it him. And then like a month before the book came out, he got killed. And I'm like, all right, you've, 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 you've flown too close to the sun too long with the Clancy books and your own books, um, trying to, uh, trying to get those details right. But, um, you know, it's part of, I always think of that book, incredible book, six days of the condor. You, you might've read it. Um, they, they made it into a movie called three days, of the condor with, um, with, uh, Robert Redford. But, uh, yeah, the, the whole idea was, that, you know, there's these people that, that read, you know, that read books and try and find out things about intelligence agencies or, you know, compromises in intelligence agencies, and uh, and I always thought that's such a cool premise because it's like, 
you know, there's stuff out there that people don't even know is real that they're, that they're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Now I've got a crazy question for you as opposed to all the other crazy questions that have been going on. Um, <laughs> um, if you hadn't have become a writer, I know you've got like a, um, a degree in, in, in politics and that kind of thing, but if you hadn't have gone down the path of becoming a writer, what do you think you would have done? How would your, how would Mark Green and his life have been completely different? What path would you have taken? Well, sadly, I know the answer to that because I, I was 42 when I got published. And so my life was in a cubicle. I worked for a medical device company and, um, and I, I think I said before, I, I used to deal with a lot of social anxiety, like, um, to, to, to the extent where I was really good at my job at, at my company and they wanted me to get into sales and I didn't want to get into sales because that was like meeting people and, and all that. And I'd rather just be sitting in my cubicle, have my little network of, of work friends. You know, we all knew each other and hung out and go to accounting meetings together or whatever. But, you know, that sort of being out in the field type of thing was terrifying to me. So I think I would have had a job like that um, until I retired. And I don't think I would have really done much with it and people at the time were always like you know you should you know you should do something different you what you're doing is beneath where you are but I was secretly writing books the whole time and thinking about books and and wanting to be a writer and reading and all that so I it was kind of inevitable where I turned out I mean I'm very very lucky that things have gone as well as they have but um, I was going to be writing books until the day I died, whether or not I did it for a living. So it, it's a good thing that it, I'm able, able to do the thing that I love. What, what what was it that initiated that you getting published? Like, was there some sort of thing that happened or something that made you actually send it into to to an agent or a publisher or get it go on the go? Yeah. So my, I wrote it took me 15 years to finish my first book. I started it in 1990 when I was 22. And I finished it in 2005. And as soon as I finished it, I looked online to see how to get a book published. And everything I read, like, shattered my confidence in what I had just written. You know, it's like my book was too long. It was too big. It had too many characters. Uh, it wasn't focused enough. And so then I was like, okay, it took you 15 years to write this, but you really didn't work that hard. You know, that that's 15 years of piddling gave you this book. And maybe the last couple months you really worked at it. So I went out and wrote another book in seven months. And that one I got in front of an agent and it was the agent who is the agent of like one of my favorite authors, a guy named Ralph Peters. And, um, and the agent really liked the writing, but he didn't like the whole premise of the book. Uh, he, he thought the book was too ambitious for someone who hadn't been published. So he asked me to write something else. So I went from a guy that, you know, only his mom had read his, you know, his first book. And literally, I think three people read my first book. And now I have this big uh, agent in New York who's like, you're a good writer. Write me another book. And then I wrote him a book and he said, OK, I don't think I'm going to represent this one, but I like your main character, this gray man guy. I don't really like the plot, but if there's this little subplot about this kind of phalanx of, of bad guys that are after him. It's like if you made that the center of the story. And so he's like, just write me another book. And so that's another year out of your life. And um, and I did that because I felt like, well, this guy's giving me like good information. And then once I finished that book, that was the gray man and sent it to 10 publishers and nine of them turned it down. And, and the one who picked it up happened to be Tom Clancy's editor. So a couple of years later, when Clancy was looking for a, a, a co-author, um, I was in the right place at the right time. So that that's what worked for me. So you say you've written you know, all that time and you've written 24 books mm -hmm. and they've all been based in the same genre. Is there a 
To Kill a Mockingbird by Mark Graney, sitting on the computer somewhere. Do you want to get out of this genre and write something else just to be fresh and different and see if you can do it? But- I wish I did. Um, I don't. Like, I... I like staying in this genre. The one, the one exception would be I could see myself writing a nonfiction title at some point in my life, like really getting passionate about something I was researching for uh, a novel and going like, you know, I really want to get that out there in a nonfiction sense. I think that that's a goal of mine, but, um, you know, I'm fortunate enough that I have more work than I can handle as it is. So I'm not sure when that'll be. But, you know, I, I have a I have a romantic suspense idea that I'd like to turn into a novel, but it's still kind of in the espionage genre. It's still a thriller. Um, it's just different from, you know, a, an action spy thriller. It's more of a cerebral um, thing with a romantic side to it. So I, I wouldn't call it a different genre, but it's probably as, as far afield as I will ever go. Close enough. Yeah, close enough. Joe must have read my mind because he, he kind of stole my question there. That was what I was going to ask. So I'll go a different way and just say if, if there's anything you could go back and change or, or anything you'd do differently, what would that be? Mm, um, career-wise, that's actually an easy question to answer. In fact, I, mean, I, I talked to schools and I spoke at my uh, the commencement for my university uh, last year and I just just want to hammer to young people that like the, the one superpower – that I know of that you can have is, is uh, just sort of fearlessness when it comes to, you know, going after what you want. You know, I just think that that's such an amazing, and and I don't say that from experience. I say it from the experience of not having that. And, you know, I had, I had meetings with agents where I never left my hotel room because I just chickened out to go talk to them. You know, I just had so much fear about rejection and, you know, I, I didn't talk to people. I didn't ask people for, you know, advice or, um, or help because, you know, I just, just kept, I didn't put myself in, in the right, you know, frame of mind. So like, if you can, if you can go out, if you're young and you're trying to, you know, find your way, if you, if you can go out and seek to fail, say, I'm going to fail at this 25 times, you know, and that's your goal, then I think you're going to just end up so so much better off it really is like a superpower to me just that having a little bit of um uh bravery in what you do or some whiskey thank you yeah yeah i've I've tried that that's (laughs) that helps for a minute hey listen so um you like to interact with readers how do they get a hold of you doing social media website um how do people find mark graney yeah, so I'm on kind of all social media, easy to find that way. But uh, my website is markgraney, G-R-E-A-N-E-Y, books.com. And that has all the info. I'm about to go on a book tour and um, and then, you know, bang out something else this year. But uh, I'm pretty active on social media. Fantastic. Now, the book, The Chaos Agent, Gray Man, book 13, it's out now. Our guest is the author of that book, Mark Graney. Thank you for being here. Oh, I enjoyed it. Good to talk to you guys. Thanks, Mark. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show is over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Yeah. Good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, 
or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show is over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.